This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, thanks so much for being with us on the Tuesday edition of the Big Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, This hour, we're going to be joined uh, by a Reuters reporter who broke the story about the Trump administration pushing to rip the global supply chain from China. So how are they going to do that? What would that entail? How far advanced is this program, or is it just something they batted around? We'll turn to Colonel Alan West on the threat of China reopening up Texas and around the country. He was at a rally in Austin, Texas over the weekend. And, of course, uh, we have a lot of uh, moving news when it comes to the coronavirus. Uh, we know the president of the United States is finally getting out of the White House. He went to Camp David over the weekend. But he also will be going to visit a factory where they make masks uh, and, and Honeywell. And he's going to start doing that. I think he's maybe visit some hospitals and some other things about people recovering to get involved in this story. But get out of the White House to talk about it. He says he has not stopped the updates, you know, the, the, the daily meetings, but he just won't do them daily. He will do them from here and there. Uh, meanwhile, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We can't give China a pass, so here's the deal. We can build an economy here in America, bring the supply chain back, but punish the hell out of China. Our economic future is not dependent upon giving China a pass. Wow, uh, China justified massive blowback for the communist menace. What the administration might just be prepared to do with which all which will rock the global economy. But is it worth it? The question is, is this the right time? Number two. Where's Chris Ray been? We want the documents. We want that 302 that was changed. And we want to talk to the agents who were there when they interviewed Mike Flynn and why they changed that 302. And that is Jim Jordan. You know him. Uh, Michael Flynn exoneration investigation gaining momentum as the GOP asks, how did this happen? And where is the FBI director, Christopher Wray, in all of this? Number one. People are all talking about reopening. This is not a sustainable situation. Close down everything. Close down the economy. Uh, You can do it for a short period of time, but you can't do it forever. No, you can't, Governor Cuomo. Please heed your words. Coronavirus fight against the spread and against the oppressive rules and regulations involving the spread and leaders who think they're Mussolini and Napoleon. We will update you on the phased reopening and the frustration citizens uh, seem to have just had enough. I mean, I'm talking about a lot of protests yesterday. You know, I got an email from someone in Massachusetts and we got a call too, saying, where are the people angry in Massachusetts? They should be standing up and talking about this oppressive governor who's keeping us clamped down for no reason while hundreds in Boston rallied against the Massachusetts coronavirus, uh, 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 coronavirus crackdown and restrictions. Uh, this, the city has threatened $1,000 in fines for those caught in public without a mask. Can you imagine that? A pair of cities in Maryland threaten residents with a fine up to 1000 bucks if they're caught. Really? 1000 bucks. I feel bad for the law enforcement officers who have to put, the, they have to put these on the books and then they got to go enforce them. But what about, uh, is, what else is going on around the country? 
Uh, what about Mayor Garcetti in Los Angeles? Uh, is working with mayors throughout the county and public health departments as a plan to reopen, but he's not even listened to his own Democratic liberal governor. He says he's taking his time and nothing will open right now. I mean, these people are getting crazy. It's easy to shut it down. Get in your Tahoe, get in your Suburban, your Escalade, drive around to these areas, see what they see, live what they live, understand what they're up against, and then start to reopen or make the tough decision to keep it down. But I'm seeing this this whole pace seems very, very slow. And I look at Lynn Sametta. She's a congresswoman uh, from Huntington Beach area. She's sitting there and go, wait a second. You just shut down our beaches and left the rest of the state open. Well, all our people are just going elsewhere. And last year and last week, we actually socially distanced and you punished the only conservative area. That is goes beyond the virus. Cut seven. You know, we have aerial photographs. We have our marine safety officers and our police on the beaches telling us last weekend that, in fact, the vast majority of the people were social distancing. (coughs) And so when we received the order from the governor to close the beaches, only the beaches in Orange County, quite frankly, we were surprised. I wish that he had reached out and called me and asked me to share with him what the real situation was. Uh, And instead, I think he looked at photographs that were put out there by media outlets and and made a decision based on that, which was an arbitrary decision in our view. So a lot of people are skipping steps, and that really gets the scientists crazy, like in Colorado, like in Georgia, but they're not paying the price uh, so far. Keep your fingers crossed. And keep in mind that things are not going to change the next day. Uh, it's going to take like two weeks for this to show up. You got to get the virus. You got to show signs of the virus. You got to see if these are asymptomatic signs. And if you go take a test and you find out if you have it. Dr. Anthony Fauci says there's danger in reopening and, and doing it before we've had 14 straight days of declines, for example. Cut one. When you have a lot of virus activity and you know that you're able to contain it to a certain degree, by the mitigation, the physical separations, the kinds of things that we've been talking about, gateway, phase one, phase two, phase three, and you start to leapfrog over some of these, you're inviting rebound. Well, we'll see. Uh, inviting rebound or trying to make a living and being smart about it. I think that has to, uh, that has to be taken into account, which Governor Cuomo says the right thing, but I like to see him pick up the pace a little bit. Uh, here is Governor Cuomo on what he knows we're experiencing. Cut nine. Uh, when I say the situation is unsustainable, it's unsustainable on many levels. It's unsustainable economically. It's unsustainable personally. Uh, a lot of anxiety is uh, now all through our community. We see it in increased alcoholism, increased substance abuse, increased domestic violence. So this is a... a very, very difficult period, and people want to move on. Yes, but let's be smart about what we do, and let's learn the lessons. I don't know what you mean by learn the lessons and, and be smart. What we're doing is shutting down and trying to get people to open up. We're trying to do the right thing. Uh, you want to wear a mask? One minute you say, don't wear a mask. Governor of Ohio says, too oppressive to make you wear a mask, even though he's the first to shut down. Uh, the mayor said wear a mask in New York City. The governor said no. Now they're like, you better wear a mask. We're going to fine you. Really? Who's being smart about it? Four phases in New York. Phase one, construction and manufacturing. Phase two, finance and insurance, real estate, uh, others open up. Phase three, restaurant and hotels. Phase four, I guess Broadway plays, entertainment venues, and what have you. Get gyms in there, and hopefully that'll be phase one. 
Meanwhile, before I go to break, because I want to get this China story in and get Reuters' exclusive report out, and then we'll welcome in the colonel. A quick thing on uh, three-star General Michael Flynn. Uh, More and more evidence is uh, piling up that he was targeted by the FBI to take out not only uh, because of who he is, uh, but because who he worked for. I have not figured out. I had really smart people on both sides uh, have, for different reasons, say why Michael Flynn was targeted before he could really get the job as National Security Advisor. KT McFarlane was his deputy. She was targeted, too, and said this about what, Flynn, what they were after with Flynn, cut 27. But in Flynn's case, they were blackmailing him as well. And the blackmail was to get him to plead guilty to a crime yeah. he didn't commit to save his son. And at the end of the day, though, they weren't after me. They weren't after Flynn. I mean, those are nice pelts to, to tap up on the wall, but they were after Trump. They wanted me to implicate Flynn in crimes, which he hadn't committed. They wanted me to implicate Trump in crimes he hadn't committed. And by not doing that, you know, not lying to implicate others and not lying to, um, to say to, that I'd committed perjury, they, were, they threw everything at me. And it, and it was the same thing. They bankrupt you. They know if all else fails and they can't get you on a crime, they can bankrupt you because they have infinite resources and you have to pay for all the lawyer's fees, all the discovery, everything, all by yourself. So they know that at the end of the day, they can punish you by bankrupting you. And by the way, he wants to withdraw his guilty plea. Uh, There is much more to this. I cannot wait for the first uh, Michael Flynn interview. We could finally get his side of the story. Meanwhile, we come back. Homaira Pomek uh, will be with us, a columnist with Reuters, who wrote the story, uh, the Trump administration is pushing to rip the global supply chains from China. Then with Colonel, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Allen West, reopening Texas in particular, uh, had protests in Austin and doing this thing the right way. And then we take your phone calls, 1-866-408-7669. And just uh, let me know. Uh, go to BrianKillMe.com. Let me know what your state's doing, what they say they're doing and what they're actually doing and how you're doing through it. Brian Kilmeade Show, back in a moment. Don't move. It's Brian Kilmeade. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in Blue Collar Trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com. 
KenRusk.com slash path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com slash path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. But we can't give China a pass, so here's the deal. I'm 100% convinced without Chinese Communist Party deception, the virus wouldn't be here in the United States. I'm 100% convinced they'll never cooperate until they're made to do so. And we can't let the Democratic Party give China a pass. So we could do two things at once. We can build an economy here in America, bring the supply chain back, but punish the hell out of China. Don't give them a pass. Our economic future is not dependent upon giving China a pass. That was uh, Senator Lindsey Graham. Now let's bring in Hamira Pamuk, uh, who's a columnist with Reuters and wrote this story headlined, Trump administration pushing to rip global supply chains from China. How and how soon? Hi, Myra. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hello, Brian. Thanks for having me. So, uh, Myra, you, you uh, uh, quote an unnamed official, and you also have uh, another, Keith uh, Cratch, the Undersecretary of Economic Growth and Energy at the Environment for the State Department, uh, who cooperated with you and told you our plans are underway. How do they plan on doing this, and what industries could be coming out of uh, mainland China? Yeah, so, Brian, um, we've been talking to administration officials uh, for a while now, um, like other journalists, uh, to understand what the United States is going to do next about China. And based on our conversations, I think it's fair to say that there has been a growing push across the administration recently, maybe more so over the past couple of weeks, about holding China accountable over its handling of the pandemic. Um, Obviously, Washington believes China attempted to cover up the scale of the outbreak in its initial days, while Beijing maintains that it has made the world aware on a timely basis. And supply chains indeed emerge um, as a key component as per our our story. Um, I think the reliability, the heavy reliability on China in terms of supply chains has been a key lesson a key takeaway uh, for the administration from this pandemic. And they're really looking into how they can um, cut this reliance and improve the situation for, um, for American industries. What, what industries? Uh, not everything, uh, but we got to get uh, pharmaceuticals out of there. Is that understood? What else could be coming out of there? Okay, yeah, pharmaceuticals is definitely... Um, a focus. Um, I was told that this is a point of infliction, and pharmaceuticals was not necessary was not necessarily something that they were heavily looking at before. So I think it's important to point out here that the administration was looking at doing this before the pandemic. Um, President wow. ran on this. It was always a pledge that um, to bring these jobs back to America. This was always um, a goal that the administration was after, but. Um, to quote Keith, uh, these, this initiative is now being is now turbocharged. Um, what they're looking at is like they're reshoring uh, these manufacturing business, these these industries, uh, back to the homeland. And for whatever reason, if the businesses feel that it wouldn't be profitable per se or feasible economically, then you would be looking at some trusted partners, is what they call um, maybe allies or some countries in the neighboring um, vicinity of China, one could be Vietnam, or some Latin American countries. 
and basically reshore these industries there. And in terms of the industries, we're talking about everything here, education, digital, energy, infrastructure, all of these things, I've been told. All right. So it's going to be interesting. They have 28 percent of the world's manufacturing production. Uh, We'll see if we make a dent in it. And here's the other thing. When it happens, if you see a massive move and there's a press conference, they've already yesterday in their state agencies called Mike Pompeo and the president evil. Uh, The market does not like unrest between our two economies. We know that. Just to talk of tariffs, the market on Sunday, the market dropped 250 points on Monday. So I'm just wondering, when this happens, China will have an answer, won't they? They will not take well to this. What could they possibly do in retaliation if the president tries to turbocharge uh, the release of manufacturing from that country? Well, that's a uh, a great question. Uh, Probably one for Beijing. Um, and I don't want to speculate, but it's very important to note that the United States is still pretty dependent on China for medical supplies, such as the PPE. Uh, we have read in uh, the past couple of weeks that China's export restrictions on masks and PPE has left much-needed U.S.-bound materials stranded. So the stakes are really quite uh, high here, hence the response needs to be very nuanced and laser-focused. And I'm saying these um, not because it's my opinion, but administration officials basically say that's why they're not rushing into making an imminent decision and um, they're taking their time. Obviously, we're not talking about a lot of time here, um, but they're really exploring the best option and they really want this to be well calibrated. What countries can we count on that feel the same way as we feel about possibly doing the same thing? U.S. to U.S. governments working with Australia, India, Japan, New Zealand, South Korea, and Vietnam. But there's gonna, they, they know there'll be retribution if they join us. Do you think they're willing to go with us? Um, I think the administration is working on this. Um, so I've been told. Um, I understand that uh, State Department, among other agencies, um, National Economic Council, White House, are really on the phone around the clock um, about this with allies. Um, What they're trying to do, um, they tell me, is basically create somewhat loosely dubbed an economic prosperity network, and this is something we've quoted in our story as well, defined as a group of like-minded countries and companies who they they say share American values, or say like it's in Europe, what they would say would be democratic values. And basically, reoriented supply chain based on these networks. Um, and I mean, it's still a work in progress. We will see. Yeah, I guess we'll see. Um, and do you have a timetable? When do you think there might be a press conference announcing some of these moves? Uh, or do you see it differently? Do you see it becoming uh, announcements along the way? I think it's going to be the latter. Um, but I don't want to speculate, um, but I, I think my understanding... Based- this episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. My conversations with the officials is like every industry 
has its own story and every industry has its own particular circumstances. And they're working closely with the U.S. companies as well. Um, there could be some pushback or like some companies might say, you know, well, we have this particular circumstance. We may not be able to do it so quickly. So um, I don't think it's fair to say that we're going to see just one press conference um, sometime soon. But I think it's going to be like a multiple announcement um, for various industries um, along the way, probably in the next couple of couple of months. Gotcha. Hey, Hamira uh, Pamuk, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Uh, the Reuters story really caught my attention, a lot of people's attention. Trump administration pushing to rip the global supply chains from China. Man, that would be titanic, but overdue in my mind. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. Coming up next, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West on China, what it means. Also, Texas reopening. Don't move. Brian Kilmeade Show. Busy day. Want you a part of it. Appreciate you being here. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I'm not saying you said that, but that is just completely false. That's a total misunderstanding of when deaths occur. If you open the doors today and you have deaths in three days, that, that's just, there's no correlation there. It takes 23 to 30 days on roughly average to have somebody from getting the, getting the infection to dying. When the number of deaths goes up in three days and the state open their doors, there's no correlation whatsoever. That's just a false conclusion to be made. And we're talking about the reopenings and if the deaths spike, people say the reopening's got to stop, you got to curtail it. No, we're not. I mean, in a matter of days, it's impossible to know. I mean, uh, if you could be infected, you're not going to know. I, I laugh when people say, well, after that weekend at the beach in Huntington Beach, uh, uh, hospital visits spiked. In two days, it's not going to spike. You get it. You have a day. It's going to take two weeks for these, if these uh, symptoms going to manifest itself. One of the people like me who's getting very impatient with the shutdown and the oppressive ways in which some governors are running things is my next guest, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, Senior Fellow of the Media Research Center, former Congressman of Florida, 22nd Congressional District, author of the book, We Can Overcome, an American Black Conservative Manifesto. He also wrote Hold Texas, Hold the Nation, where he now lives. Um, let's first off, Colonel West, talk about what you did over the weekend. You were at a rally, right? Yeah, I was at a rally, and it's good to be with you, Brian. I was at a rally down in East Texas and uh, Tyler, Texas, which is probably the largest uh, the largest city in uh, East Texas. And it was about uh, opening up the Texas economy and allowing people to get back to work. And, you know, the, the collateral damage that we're seeing here in Texas is the fact that we are now 2 million-plus people that are unemployed you have looked and seen what has happened with our the oil industry and the oil markets and that is having an even greater effect on the revenues for the state of texas so we are causing a lot more pain on americans than i think the COVID 19 has has uh, brought about and and everyone was agreeing with this initial 10 day to 14 day two week you know period uh, let's get this thing under control let's uh, do the shelter in place but now, like you say, it has become a tool of tyranny for some of these governors and some of these local officials, especially at the county level. 
So right now there was a projection that instead of uh, 1,700 dead a day, that FEMA put out a report uh, by June 1st that we'd be reaching 3,000 dead a day. The president goes, no, I never even heard that. That would be a 70% increase. It's hard to uh, understand what exactly is going on here. I mean, we, we do all this mitigation. Scott Gottlieb said over the weekend, former FDA chief, yeah, I thought mitigation would work better. Does anyone know what they're doing? I'm, that is the thing that I think a lot of people are really confused about in America, whether or not people really understand what they're going to do, what they're doing here. They told us uh, they would be able to flatten the curve. When you see the uh, USNS Comfort heading back home, when you see all of these, you know, hospital facilities, these uh, makeshift hospitals that are now being broken down, $60 million was spent in Houston, Harry, Harris County for a uh, temporary hospital that was at the NRG Stadium that never saw one patient. And as a matter of fact, in Texas, we have only seen about a 2% utilization of our hospital space. And we know that they're starting to furlough people from hospitals because they made this decision that only essential uh, medical procedures could be uh, you know, looked at, not elective surgeries or whatever. And so we have, again, caused more pain to our economy. And a lot of people are starting to say, we don't have any trust and confidence in people because it seems that they're just doing this as a shot in the dark now. Right. Uh, and there's, uh, there's other thing is you have the scientists. Believe the scientists. All right. So uh, we, they was, Anthony Fauci was asked about these numbers. We have 1,700. Is it true that FEMA did a study and we're going to have 3,000? Uh, listen to what he said. Cut two. I don't know if those numbers, because I have skepticism about models, mm-hmm. about they're only as good as the assumptions you put into them, but they're not completely misleading. They're telling you something that's a reality, that when you have mitigation that's containing something, and unless it's down in the right direction and you pull back prematurely, you're going to get a rebound of cases. Well, All again, right. the so thing is, is go we- ahead. When we talk about a rebound of cases, uh, the, the most important thing that everyone should understand, and this is science, this is truth, is that COVID-19 has a 99.6% recovery rate. So, I mean, are we going to sit around and say we are going to wait until nobody uh, it gets a case of COVID-19? We're going to keep the American economy shut down till we get, you know, zero? No, that that's that's. That's unrealistic. That's not what leadership is all about. Leadership is about understanding what the risk is out there and mitigating it to the best of your abilities and coming up with the policies that enable people to go about and live their lives. If there are people that want to stay in their houses, let them stay in their houses. But right now we have small businesses that are never going to come back. We have seen, you know, an increase of, you know, like suicides. Uh, in in Montgomery County, last time I checked, they had more suicides than they had COVID-19 deaths. So, again, I want people to stop with the fear mongering, start talking about what we can do and what we can't do. That's what leadership is about, Brian. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, don't give me a PPP loan to last six weeks and then keep me shut down for 12 because they're running out of weeks. These businesses uh, are, are running out of weeks. We're coming up on two more weeks left. They're saying, really, you're not opening up gyms because it doesn't look right. I own a gym and I need to yeah. open now. I've already mapped off, you know, I've roped off my treadmill. I put the elliptical, two ellipticals between people. I have extra people on staff ready to go. Let me use my keys and open this place up. 
the biggest offender, according to my, uh, my Twitter feed and the calls we get, because we're lucky enough to have three great affiliates in Virginia, is Ralph Northam of that state. Cut four. We are not entering phase one today, nor this week. Based on the data, I expect that we may be able to enter it as soon as next week. I will extend Executive Order 53, which is the order that restricted certain businesses and banned gatherings of more than 10 people through next Thursday night, May the 14th. He's got to get in his car, travel around Virginia, decide where the infections are and what is clear, and start doing the hard work. You shut things down, you get a new governor's call, and you talk about your states. Your state is diverse. There's very rural areas there that are totally isolated, mm-hmm. that want to open up their stores, their farms, uh, and, there's, and uh, their, their restaurants. He's got to do the hard work. Tennessee is opening up. He's sitting there locked down. Why? Well, why is because, uh, as Rahm Emanuel said, never let a good crisis go to waste. And also, as James Clyburn said on April the 2nd, this pandemic gives Democrats a tremendous opportunity to restructure things to fit our vision. You know, Attorney General Barr said it perfectly. He, he said that this does not mean this emergency, if you want to call it that, does not mean that there's a suspension in individual liberties, freedoms, and the Bill of Rights. Think about the governor out there in Oregon. I think it's uh, Kate Brown. She just extended this. This is illegal martial law. That's what I'm calling it. And house arrest. She's extended it to July the 6th. And why? There's no data for for her to do that. And so when I look at Governor Northam, think about this. Do We now have elected officials that believe they have the enumerated power to tell Amazing. business owners that they cannot open their business. They can't run their business. That, to me, this is the scary part, Brian, is that we have people that are making the decision as to who and what is essential in America. Yeah, it's crazy. Let's pivot to China. You wrote about this. Uh, there was a governor's conference, and Mike Pompeo talked. And he says China has got a, a, a list of governors that they think are friendly and great to deal with. You probably all don't want to be on that list, especially now. What, oh, how, what do you mean China's tentacles are in the heart of America? Well, think about what just came out. The, the Department of Education has uh, released an investigation, has uh, started an investigation on the University of Texas system here because uh, they have found uh, some cooperation with the Wuhan virology lab. And we know about what happened at Harvard University with the professor there that was arrested in January, and along with two Chinese nationals, one of which was a soldier in the Chinese People's Liberation Army. And one of those individuals, when they were caught at the Boston Logan Airport, had 21 vials of biological research material. We have not heard anything about that. You know, here in North Texas, where I live, not too far away, in Richardson and also Plano, we find uh, Huawei and also ZTE, which we know are state-controlled communications companies uh, right here in North Texas in in this uh, technology hub that we have. So we're starting to see those tentacles, and people can go. I think it was Axiom that first broke the story and uh, in, included that uh, that list. And I saw it also posted on Conservative Treehouse. And it shows that list from China where that, 
you know, articulates hardliners, uh, people in support, and people that are unclear and unsure. These are governors, and that's what China is doing. They are evaluating our governors as far as them being uh, allowed to come in and, and uh, you know, find a, a good operating space in the United States of America. So this is a very big concern, and Secretary of State Pompeo, if you want to see that speech that he gave back in February, he outlined it. So uh, it's clear that Pompeo is very aggressive right now. Tom Cotton is extremely aggressive right now. Lindsey Graham is extremely aggressive right now. The president indicating uh, that it's complicated, but he is getting fed up as reports come out that China kept everything quiet. One of the main reasons so they could hoard PPE and not have competition from the rest of the world because they knew how bad this was going to get. They let their people go around the rest of the world, but wouldn't let them travel from city to city. So Mm -hmm. there were basically these people, IEDs, blowing up cities with their existence mm-hmm. and presence. So in, you know this better than most. You're, uh, you go, go to the war colleges more than most. You have to know when to fight. You have a reason to fight, but you got to know when. And I ask you, as much as you want to take a swing, is this the right time? Well, there are different means by which you can take that swing. Remember, there are four elements to a nation's power. It's called a dime theory. It's diplomatic, informational, military, and economic. I think we start need to start looking at the, dif- the diplomatic, the informational, and the economic means by which we isolate China and start to bring uh, consequences for their abhorrent behavior. And I think this is where the Secretary of State and others, we need to build a coalition of nations. I mean, Australia is standing up. We need to make sure that the European nations don't cower to the threats of China. Look, the one belt, one road strategy of China is very real. And if we don't come together and, and understand their global hegemonic designs, uh, we're going to get more of this bad behavior. So I think now is a great opportunity to start with the diplomatic, the informational, and the economic pressure. I don't want to see us get to the, the military option, but understand that China is uh, setting course for, for that path. And if we don't stop them early, uh, it may come to that, you know, 10, 20 years down the road. Absolutely. Uh, Colonel Allen West, best of luck. Uh, when's that vote for Thanks. the GOP chair? The vote for the GOP chair will be at the convention July the 16th through the 18th in Houston, Texas. It got pushed back. So, again, we hope we'll, you can make it on down here and uh, be a part of it. Yeah, west for number 4 texascom to, to support Colonel West's uh, candidacy. Uh, thanks so much, Colonel. Always a pleasure. Take care, Brian. All right, next is your turn, 1-866-408-7669. Uh, it's China's complicated. Uh, we have a lot of weapons, one of which you're not going to believe it. Our pensions, our funds are invested in China. Yeah, firefighters, military men and women. As we leave to break, here's Congressman Michael Waltz, and I'll be back with your calls at one 408 7669 Cut 33. Between our debt, between our federal pension between even a number of state pensions and then our massive trade deficit, which the president has been on since day one, we are funding through hundreds of billions of American dollars, Beijing's rise militarily and their rise uh, economically. And Shannon, this isn't just hawks sounding the alarm bell. The leader of the Chinese Communist Party and his lieutenants have said in the next decade, they will dominate a new world order led by China, the United States subservient. Uh, and that's mm-hmm. not a world I want my grandchildren growing up in. Yeah. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. 
Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The Republican leader has called the Senate back into session, despite the fact that the District of Columbia appears to be reaching the peak phase of this public health emergency. If it's essential that brave health care workers, grocery store workers, truck drivers, and many other Americans continue to carefully show up for work, then it's essential that their U.S. senators carefully show up ourselves and support them. And we are going to show up for work like the essential workers that we are. Our bosses are the American people and they're counting on us to keep on serving. So the House and Senate have made no provisions to vote uh, vote or work remotely. They have done nothing. And now all of a sudden this house goes, it's too dangerous, I'm staying out. That's, it's not up to you to stay out. I'm sure the sanitation people would love to say, I'm not picking up the garbage. I don't know what's in there. I'm sure people would rather not clean the subways today, but they know what they have to get paid. And then they, there's a lot of people that don't want to be cops and firefighters. Many getting sick. Some, especially in New York, have died. You don't think about it. You're an essential worker. I hate to tell you, senators, congressmen, you're essential workers. Get yourself a steam up a little bit. And I know, well, some of them are very old. Some of them are pre-existing conditions. Why did you run? If you knew you were too old to be in two places uh, every month, sometimes more, minimum, you can't take the job. If you're 86 years old and say, I'm too dangerous to go to Washington, you shouldn't take the job. I'm sure on 9-11, there was a lot of people say, listen, I'm not going to war. Well, I had a news for you. There was a plane coming for the Capitol building. You're a target. When they have to empty your pockets to go to work and pat you down with a with a magnetometer, that's because you're a target. That's what you do to get to your office. I have no patience for people in Senate in the House that don't want to work because it's dangerous. Everybody's in danger at some point. You have to work. Many of you have to come up with some type of answer to this uh, pandemic that we're in. But in terms of what we're looking at in terms of a rescue package, here's what they want. want a liability package to allow business owners to come back to work and not get sued. Chuck Schumer says, we're not doing that. Nancy Pelosi says, I'd rather just give money to the states. You're not going to have it both ways. Let's find out if there's more to know. More to know. Uber drivers are required to wear face masks for drivers and riders. Well, that's interesting. Maybe they'll give them out. Currently, drivers in major cities states they have implemented face mask mandates. We'll see how that goes. Maybe you'll feel more secure getting in. Next. Serena Williams plays herself in tennis in a TikTok video, the 23-time Grand Slam winner, uh, written, directed, and produced and starring Serena Williams, including clips of Williams sporting different outfits, which turns me on. Later in the clip, Williams says to herself, you're tough, you're not so bad yourself. Next. NBC News Chairman Andy Lack stepping down. Lack will leave his post by the end of the month as part of a corporate-wide shakeup. NBC Universal's chief executive announced it on Monday. This guy's been in controversy really since the Matt Lauer thing all blew up. NBC CEO Jeff Schell wrote the company's news organization. All of them will be folded into one group. 
Next, University of Kentucky. Let's reopen for the fall semester. Good job. I'll keep that in mind. South Dakota, man, charged with DUI after running over himself. You might say it's a bad day for him. His name is Anthony Williamson. He did in Rapid City. Witnesses say Williamson was at the intersection at about 11.25 a.m. when his car door opened and he fell out. They say the vehicle rear wheel ran over his legs. A passerby was able to stop the vehicle. Explain that to your insurer. I hope he's okay. And I hope he has better. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. This hour, we're going to be joined by Susan Page of USA Today. Do a simulcast. You'll finally see what I look like on Barney and Company. And Monica Crowley uh, with, the, uh, with the Treasury Department. She is U.S. Uh, Treasury Assistant Secretary for Public Affairs. Always great to have Monica on. She's standing by. So uh, while the president hits the road today, he goes to Arizona to, to visit a, uh, a mask-making factory, which should, be, um, which should be good to get him... He wants to be out of the White House and out and about, so this will be the beginning. Uh, we'll find out what his remarks were as he left, and we'll continue to follow all the breaking news in Washington as the Senate comes back to work. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We can't give China a pass, so here's the deal. We can build an economy here in America, bring the supply chain back, but punish the hell out of China. Our economic future is not dependent upon giving China a pass. Uh, That is Lindsey Graham telling it like it is. Justified massive blowback for the communist menace. What the Trump administration might just be prepared to do, which will rock the global economy. The question is, is now the time? Number two. Where's Chris Ray been? We want the documents. We want that 302 that was changed. And we want to talk to the agents who were there when they interviewed Mike Flynn and why they changed that 302. That is uh, Jim Jordan. He's upset as everybody is. Michael Flynn, the exoneration and investigation gaining momentum as the GOP is asking, how did all this happen? And where's the new FBI director, Chris Ray? Where's his outrage? Number one. People are all talking about reopening. This is not a sustainable situation. Close down everything. Close down the economy. Uh, You can do it for a short period of time, but you can't do it forever. That's Governor of New York. Coronavirus against the spread and against the oppressive rules and regulations. There's a fight going on. We will update you on the phased reopening and the frustrated citizens who have just had enough. Now let's bring in Monica Crowley, uh, working now with the Treasury Department. Uh, always loved to have her in studio. She's a great uh, host herself if she wanted something to fall back on. Uh, Monica, welcome back. First time <laughs> is your official position. Thank you so much, Brian. I miss you, and it's so good to talk to you again. Thank you so much for having me. I have been having the time of my life as Assistant Secretary of the Treasury for Public Affairs and supporting the President and Secretary Mnuchin. I've been in this job for a year now, a year next week. It's flown by, but it's actually been the honor and privilege of a lifetime to serve my country. It got a lot tougher, didn't it? Uh, over the last month, uh, over the last six to eight weeks, from the best economy yes. ever to the greatest economic crisis the world has seen in, in the modern day. 
So we've seen a lot of your boss, Secretary of State Mnuchin. Are you guys Secretary going to work, Treasury, Monica? Brian. Treasury, uh, you're right. Are you guys do, going to work already on a, another rescue package? Well, there are a couple of things that are under, under discussion between the White House, uh, Treasury, and Capitol Hill. I know that there are a, a, a lot of different things that the president would like to see and members of the Democratic Party would like to see. I think also, though, there is a prevailing sense in the administration that we have just pumped about 6 to $7 trillion of liquidity through these uh, programs, PPP, economic impact payments, also the Fed facilities that have been stood up in the last two months to provide liquidity. So we're looking at about $6 trillion that have, that have been pushed into this economy to try to bridge this very challenging but temporary time period. And I think there's a sense, Brian, that we should allow these programs and, and these efforts to breathe a bit before we start talking in seriousness about another uh, stimulus package. Let's see how these programs do. And by most accounts, they are working in terms of protecting American jobs, helping American workers, and helping American companies and industries. So let's let this breathe a bit and then take a new measure of where we are in a little while. All right. Um, It's not up to me, though. Uh, You don't have to convince me. I understand. Nancy Pelosi has a different idea. Listen to her. Cut 36. And the key is testing, testing, testing. That was our first bill on March 4th, but it was not executed. It was our most recent bill uh, with $25 billion for testing. That was resisted by the other side, but we did get. But we still need much more, and we will have it in this legislation, CARES too, that we are writing right now. Which he says is up to a trillion dollars. Uh, your boss uh, seems to work as well as any uh, one in the Trump administration with Nancy Pelosi. How would you describe their relationship? And has she been in contact as he contacted her or vice versa yet about this? You know, it's interesting because President Trump is the quintessential dealmaker and quintessential negotiator, and he's been very fortunate in having a Treasury Secretary who's also a very savvy negotiator. So when it's come to not just in in this particular crisis negotiating these massive uh, programs and, and legislation, which he has done, but previous to this, Secretary Mnuchin established a track record in working with Speaker Pelosi, particularly over the last week, uh, year or so, Brian, on on budget measures and debt ceiling measures and so on. So they work very well together. Um, and the president has full confidence in the secretary to go in and negotiate these deals on the administration's behalf. So if, in fact, there will be a phase four, I have no doubt that Secretary Mnuchin will be on the front lines negotiating that as well. And it's all money. And, you know, painfully that we don't have. So almost printing it. This is like TARP or, or um, quantitative easing 2.0, correct? It's actually bigger and, and in many ways worse than that. Uh, Secretary Mnuchin has said over and over again, Brian, that this is not the financial crisis of 2008-2009, where financial institutions took a lot of liberties and essentially imploded the financial system, which then had this massive spillover to the rest of the economy. In this case, this is an unprecedented situation where the government has mandated the shutdown of the entire 
entire U.S. economy. One of the things I think that's gotten lost because we're now two, two and a half months into this is the unprecedented nature of this, Brian. And I am extremely proud to be in the Trump administration, very proud of the president, the vice president, Secretary Mnuchin, Larry Kudlow, the entire economic team, because they could not pick up the phone and call a predecessor and say, what did you all do in the last pandemic? Can you give me some advice? Because the last pandemic right. was 20, uh, 1918, right? So they have right. all been feeling their way through this unprecedented situation and getting these massive programs up and running in record time. People also don't, don't really understand that the federal government is like a massive battleship in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Very hard to turn around on a dime. This president private sector, successful businessman, Secretary Mnuchin, same thing. They have managed to do this and come to the rescue of businesses, small and, and big industries, American people, in such a short amount of time. I'm extremely proud. Yeah, well, uh, Monica, give you this idea of what would be in this negotiation as you sit down. We know from Mitch McConnell, he's made it clear, he said it on this show last week, I got to have liability protection for businesses. That's what they really want. Democrats say no. The president says, I need a payroll uh, tax cut in this. Senator uh, uh, Speaker Pelosi said, absolutely not. She wants money to the states. The president says, well, only if there are strings attached, like you're not going to give it to uh, overpromised pension programs. Can you bring us inside these talks? So the, there have been some preliminary overview conversations, and the things that you've just laid out have been put on the table in addition to the president would like to see an, a massive infrastructure spending deal. And the Secretary of the Treasury has talked about, well, interest rates are, are extremely low, close to zero, and that, that's why this would be an opportune time to get this kind of infrastructure uh, programming going. Uh, I don't know what it's going to take. I mean, obviously, as the economy begins to reopen in various phases across the country, the incentive and urgency starts to, to lose its immediacy on this. So my sense is, while all of these things may be on the table and open for conversation, I think that it's going to be more difficult to get a phase four as more time goes by. And, by the way, as we get closer to a presidential election and politics becomes even more acute, I think it's going to be a, a harder enterprise. But I do know that the president is interested in a payroll tax holiday. Uh, I do know that the Democrats want these, this massive money to go to these states, but the administration has made it clear that it, does, it is not at all interested in bailing out fiscally mismanaged states, that any kind of money being transferred, as it has been so far, to states and municipalities, like cities like New York, that money is conditioned on only going to coronavirus um, uh, expenses and necessities. Yeah, I got a tight window, and you have to you have a tight window to me. Uh, so you have to. I have one last question for you. The PPP program is uh, running out of money again, it seems. And the people that got the first wave, the six weeks is is coming up within the next couple of weeks, where that money runs out again. How do you want to attack both issues, or is there a plan? So first, it's eight weeks, not six. Uh, and the second tra tranche of money, uh, 
We reported the round two data. Round two started last Monday, so a week and one day ago. Uh, as of Saturday, 2.2 million loans have been processed just in round two. That beats the 1.66 million loans processed in round one. And the average loan size, Brian, is now about $77,000 versus in the first round where it was about $120,000, $150,000, meaning there's more money now to cover more small businesses and more American workers. So we are hopeful based on our calculations that as the president said, we wanted to cover uh, every eligible small business and every eligible American worker working in a small business. That turned out to be about 60 million American workers working through small businesses. That's about half of the American private sector payroll. And it looks like we may come close to that, in fact. So we're not entirely sure that there will be a need to go back a third time, but I know that uh, this president and his administration do want to make sure that every small business that's eligible has the resources it needs to cover its payroll. So we will confront that um, when we come up against the, uh, the hard end of the second tranche of money, but we're pretty confident that the second ask should cover mm -hmm. the targeted amount, of, uh, targeted amount of small businesses and number of American workers. All right, a lot of pressure on your shoulders. Looks like you're more than equipped to handle it. Monica Crowley, U.S. Treasury Assistant Secretary for Public Affairs, thanks so much. Great to talk to you. It's my pleasure, Brian. Thank you so much for having me. You got it. Uh, go get them. Meanwhile, coming up next, you, one 408 Then at the bottom of the hour, Susan Page, Washington Bureau Chief, USA Today. Then I'll do a simulcast on voting and company if I can be TV ready. I'm not sure I can. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everyone. 1-866-408-7669. Thanks so much for tuning in. So it's great to catch up with Monica uh, as we look at what's happening with China, our offensive against them, looking at Michael Flynn, what's happening there, the rescue package we just brought up, uh, as well as uh, the coronavirus fight and the protests taking place around the country with, I think, oppressive governors who are getting really power-hungry. But we're talking a lot about how this whole thing affects you, the business you work for, the business you own, and some good news. Uh, we got an email from Marcia that says, I've been a loyal Fox viewer and a listener, of Brian, and watching you guys paid off. Your guest was recommending going to Cabbage instead of a major bank for a PPP loan. And after Chase Bank frustrated me, I moved forward with the recommendation and can happily say I received my loan from Cabbage this morning. You could also get it from PayPal. And it's going after an initial kind of a stutter step and too much money going to two, uh, two bigger companies. Uh, I think they're getting it down now. David listen on WHIO. Hey, David. Hey, how's it going? How you Good. Doing, What's on your mind? Uh, I'm Good. just kind of curious as to how, when all of this, you know, this COVID stuff kicked out, as certain people were essential. Well, it were two and a half, three months in, if not longer. And then people that were considered essential, if you won't wear a mask, are no longer essential. So, 
I'm just curious as to how it's okay to send us out there to work with no PPE at all, all this time. And now that you're going to let all these people that have gotten free money and haven't done anything, you know, haven't worked, they're coming out. Now I have, to, I can't work because I won't wear a mask what and haven't needed one. Yeah, I'm not, I can't work now unless I wear a mask. I deliver truck parts to keep semis on the road. Okay. Invaluable. And, now it, and you're saying, and you don't want to wear a mask. No, I have. I haven't needed one. I mean, it's it's. They haven't been corrected numbers around here in Ohio. They say this. They say that. Dewine says, "Oh well, we don't know this, and it's extremely horrible." If you don't know, then you can't tell me you know how bad it is if you don't know what you're talking about. And then he has this doctor issue in these. Huh. I agree with you. And in Ohio. You guys have a governor that said, listen, I can't make you wear a mask. I'm sorry. I go, okay. Then we have a governor that says $1,000 if you caught without a mask. I mean, what's going on? By the way, I'm sure they don't work. I'm positive. I think it's all, the, I mean, it's ridiculous. You can't wait a month to tell me to wear a mask and then t- find me $1,000 for not wearing it. Uh, now that we know more, we're more savvy. And plus, why am I running with a mask on? I'm watching people run with a mask on. You're by yourself on a path. Don't wear a mask. I mean, that's just, I don't get it. Now we got to get our restaurants open. we got to do what we can to get that done. But uh, I hear you. Uh, in Ohio, they better, they, they're going at a slow pace. But I'm pretty confident that you guys will be okay. Kathy, listen on WDBO in Orlando. Hey, Kathy. Yes, hi, um, Brian. Thank you for the show, and happy Mother's Day month to your mom and your wife. Um, I think we need to really just look back and reflect on the truth here. Okay, every single death, okay, had a highly, highly diseased issue that was not corona. Switzerland is doing something that we need to keep a really good eye on. Nancy Pelosi is trying to open the borders. We need to stop the bleeding, okay? These homeless people in these caboose, how do they survive? They are... They are, we need to put them under a microscope and find out what their chromosomes are. And secondly, this is a time now in history where we All do right. not have to have any homeless people. All right. Thanks for the call. Uh, Brian wrote me from Michigan. He says, our governor is definitely on a power trip. She has not only list, he's not listening to the med- medical experts, epidemiologists, scientists, and hospitals to save lives, notably not listening to the legislature that represents the people, notably not listening to the people who protest. She says she's not going to get distracted by the political posturing of the protest. Doesn't she get it? The people are not happy with how she has her experts are handling this. Open us up. She extended her emergency powers. On 528, we are shut down to 515, but figuring she will extend to 528 lawsuits filed against her, but she will take her time. Can't wait to get rid of her in 2022, which she's helping, which she's helping you do, Sherry. Uh, she is helping Donald Trump take Michigan for a second straight time. She is a nightmare. Connie, listen on WABC in Westport. Connie, real quick. Um, hi, Brian. I would hope that uh, this idea would go viral, okay? So... The president has to implement a nationwide lottery, whereas when there's $300 million in the pot, there are $301 million winners, and it goes on week after week after week, and we just keep on popping out millionaires, and it will be richer than Dubai. And if you believe in this, tell Monica, and then she'll tell Larry Kudlow, and then Larry Kudlow will tell the president. Okay, thank you. He's very creative. Uh, We'll uh, spread the word. Everyone could be a parable and be rich and go to Cuddle. when we come back, Susan Page. New 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Did you sexually assault Tara Reid? No, it is not true. I'm saying unequivocally, it never, never happened. And it didn't. It never happened. Do you remember her? Do you remember any any types of complaints that she might have made? I don't remember any type of complaint she <clears throat> may have made. It was 27 years ago. And uh, I don't remember, nor does anyone else that I'm aware of. And uh, the fact is that I don't remember I, I don't remember any complaint ever having been made. Well, that was former senator, former vice president, Joe Biden, now Democratic nominee, likely uh, denying the major controversy right now uh, from his perspective in the campaign about Tara Reid's allegations. And there's going to be an interview and it's going to be a story written by Ronan Farrow. It's going to be in The New Yorker. So this story is not going to die. That fact did not elude uh, Susan Page, despite the hard interview. Uh, she is the Washington Bureau Chief of USA Today, great guest of ours, and author of The Matriarch, Barbara Bush and the Making of the American Dynasty, which is a great book out in paperback today. Susan, welcome back. Hey, Brian, it's so good to be with you. I love your perspective on this. People are saying, you know, debating back and forth on all the channels, including Fox, about, well, well look at the problems with, uh, that Trump had in the past. How can you compare the two? And, and you came back and says, listen, Trump has a different brand. My words, not yours. If Biden yes, is going to run on the I am bringing back values and ethics, uh, this is a bigger problem for him than it would ever be for Trump. What do you mean? I, I agree with you, Brian. I think that uh, President Trump, now, this may not be fair, um, and this may not be the world in which everyone wishes we lived, but the fact is these two men have very different strengths and weaknesses. And President Trump's strength has never been that people thought he was someone who would never be caught um, in maybe some with some embarrassing charges against him for his personal life. We have that, that famous Access Hollywood tape, among other things. That isn't why people want the people who wanted to elect Donald Trump. That isn't why they wanted to elect him. They wanted to elect him because they thought he was uh, would would stand up for them and that he wasn't politically correct. Uh, That isn't the case for for uh, for for Joe Biden. People what people like about Joe Biden is they think he's ethical and honest and empathetic. And I think for that reason, these charges matter more, do more damage to Joe Biden than they did to Donald Trump. So I don't, I've never seen anyone perfectly handle a sex scandal. We seem to get one every couple of years, no matter what party's involved. So, you know, uh, something was involved with Al Franken on the Democratic side. And the Democrats famously are on the record. You know, women are to be believed and with Kavanaugh. And now they find themselves in a tough spot as Elizabeth Warren and Stacey Abrams, uh, as Hillary Clinton, go out of their way to say, I believe Joe. Do they find themselves yeah. in a rough box in 2018? You know, this will stun you, Brian, but I think there's a certain amount of hypocrisy in politics. Uh, so <laughs> when, it's, when, it's, <laughs> when it suited Democrats to say women must be believed uh, during the Brett Kavanaugh hearings, and Republicans were saying you have to give due process to the man who's being accused. 
both sides have flipped positions now. We have Republicans saying we ought to believe women, and we have Democrats saying the man who's accused deserves due process, deserves his say. Um, and I think that's very disheartening for a lot of Americans on all sides that uh, that positions on big issues like this get shaped by what's politically convenient at the moment. But that has certainly been a problem for some Democrats this time around. Uh, Susan, there was a, a story, and I, I think that's true. I just want you to hear these Democrats from a couple of years ago, uh, Schumer, Booker, Gillibrand, Hirono, and Feinstein. Cut 43. There's no presumption of innocence or guilt when you have a nominee before you. It's not about a condemnation or a criminal trial uh, uh, about Kavanaugh's guilt or innocence. Uh, this is a job interview. This is not a court of law. This is a job interview. It is a job interview. It's a job interview for Judge Kavanaugh. Is Brett Kavanaugh who we want on the most prestigious court in our country? So it's a job interview. He's got to take the questions. And we have not really heard from her yet. So just curious, even though we're in the middle of a pandemic, which is overwhelming the headlines and swamping Biden in particular, where do you think this is going? And do you think that Democrats are finding themselves in a tough spot? You know, I think Democrats uh, think this isn't over yet. And Republicans for sure don't think it's over yet. Uh, we had Vice President Biden do what turned out to be, I thought, a surprisingly tough interview on Morning Joe. You know, I think uh, Mika Brzezinski is pretty sympathetic to Joe Biden and to Democrats, but she did a very tough interview with him. And that was necessary. That wasn't sufficient. That doesn't settle it. Uh, we still have um, people investigating this to see if there's a complaint that she filed, as she said she did when she was working for him in 1993, uh, whether there's any corroborating evidence. But, th- you know, one of the things I think we've learned to look for in allegations of sexual misconduct is, does a second woman come forward? Because in the ca- in the most notorious cases, we've seen floodgates open and more women come forward with similar stories of abuse. That hasn't happened so far with Joe Biden. That would be, I think, the biggest problem he would have if that did happen. Um, but yeah, yes, I think I think we're going to hear more about this story, coronavirus or not. I do. Uh, I think it's a good point. But I think that um, the touchy feely thing could come up again, the way he's grabbing and holding and the thing that plagued him when he first announced. A couple of things happened. I want to get your take on this. And I do want to see how get your take on the Bush-Trump uh, fight that's going on right now. David Axelrod and David Plouf uh, wrote in the New York Times editorial, common advice in public to Joe Biden, and a way to get him out of his basement and be able to talk. He's, he says, you basically have to unleash Elizabeth Warren, Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama to post and repost stuff that you're doing. That Trump really has YouTube and Twitter and Facebook going 100 miles an hour, and you don't. Online speeches from his basement, he said, they say, won't cut it. Fellow Democrats, written pronouncements on the issue that may or may not, won't get attention. But if he's out there uh, expanding your digital footprint, focus on the content, deploy surrogates, that might be a way for him to get some of the uh, some of the oxygen from the media and from Trump. Your thoughts? You know, it- I think it's a, I think it's a big problem for for Joe Biden. Um, it's like a campaign like we've never seen before. You know what it reminds me of, Ryan? You're you're a student of history. It reminds who was the who was the guy who ran for president who ran the front porch campaign? 
where he never left his front porch in Ohio. This is, I think, in the 19th century. That's what this reminds me of. It's like a different era of politics where you don't go out and do all the big events because you can't. And yet you've got to figure out some other way to rally voters. And Joe Biden is this is this is, I think, a challenge for Joe Biden. He's 77 years old. Uh, you know, the the uh, Twitter and Facebook social media has never been his natural platforms, the places where he's been before, where he feels most comfortable. But he doesn't have any other option here, uh, even if the country gets more open soon than it is today. And we all hope that happens. It's not going to be a traditional campaign. He needs to figure out how to break through, how to get attention, how to find a way to respond to President Trump, who just has the platform any candidate would love to have there at the White House. So, Susan, you wrote the book, The Matriarch. It's now out on paperback, Barbara Bush and the Making of the American Dynasty. But in it, you talk about the whole family. They personify class. Uh, I always believe that 43 is going to gradually rise up the ranks, and 41 is getting the respect he should have had in his, uh, and should have got him four more years. Um, and considering what he did in a short period of time and the credentials he brought to the stage, um, Trump and Bush are not going to get along. Bush just put out that ad about inspiring America and Trump went after him. Are these two families that are always going to have friction in your mind? You know, they they may. You know, Barbara Bush was no fan of Donald Trump. He understands uh, her feelings. You know, George W. Bush has, I think, tried to stay out of the spotlight uh, since he left the White House and since Trump uh, President Trump was elected. Um, and I, I guess I, I'd be curious about your thoughts on this. I was a little surprised that Trump went after Bush for the nonpartisan kind of video he did that basically said we need to unite. We have more unites us and divides us. I guess I was a little surprised that he took offense at that. Were you surprised by that? I was, but then I looked at it when he says, you know, we got to push back against forces of division. I guess Trump took that personal like it was him. Mm-hmm. Personally, I would have just let it go by. Uh, and instead, he retweeted a couple of things, uh, brought up Iraq, the shoe throwing in Iraq. I just thought it was totally unnecessary, uh, big time. I just don't think it helps anything. And he's upset that Bob Bush didn't come out for him in the impeachment situation. But Susan, I am. I'm, I'm uh, I've. I got to know President Trump a little before he became president, and I've, uh, Bush 43 has been nothing but classy to me and my family. So I have nothing but great things to say about him. And your book is fantastic. Uh, go out and pick it up if you haven't yet for Mother's Day. It'll be perfect. Susan Page, thanks so much. Hey, Brian, thank you so much, and stay safe. You got it. Uh, Varney and Company coming up next. It's Brian Kilmeade. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Oh, yeah, uh, we're going to be on with Stuart Varney in just a minute. You'll get a chance to see if I'm actually camera ready. But the president's speaking right now. Here's a little clip of what he just said. The House is a setup. The House is a bunch of Trump haters. Uh, They put every Trump hater on the committee, the same old stuff. Uh, They frankly want our 
situation to be unsuccessful, which means death, which means death. And our situation is going to be very successful. The House has put on a committee, an oversight committee of uh, Maxine Waters and Maloney and the same people. And he, that's why he says they're probably going to go up in, on the Senate side. So let's listen to Stuart Barney. Seconds to go. Uh, precisely. To, there it is. 10.51. We are now joined by Brian Kilmeade, host of The Brian Kilmeade Show. Um, Brian, I think you're on board with this get back to work. I, I think the floodgates are open. I think it's a stampede to get back to work. Before we start, I just want you to listen to what a barbershop owner said yesterday on our show about getting back to work and opening up. Roll tape. I, I totally believe that our President Donald Trump can bring his economy back to where it was. We're the most prosperous country in the world. And we just need to be allowed, the states need to be allowed to open up and get us back on track. We need to, we need to be Americans again. Brian, he is a barbershop owner defying the rules. He's working and he's not supposed to. I think he's typical of a lot of Americans. Yes, like the people that were protesting in Boston, they are very frustrated. They feel as though their area of their state, if not Boston, should be open. And there's areas of California, two or three uh, uh, counties that said, we have no cases. We need to be open. And then if you're going to open up every beach except for the Orange County section, which happens to be conservative, when aerial views showed that people were social distancing and cops and firefighters said that was my witness, too. That's called oppressive leadership. I also call it laziness, Stuart. If you are a governor of a big state or a small state, walk around. Okay, problem in the city, perhaps. Fine. Walk around. See if the farms can open up. See if these uh, open suburbs can go. And see if these businesses are ready to go. Uh, as the, uh, they spread out the restaurant with a floor plan, you know that sports store, that uh, bait and tackle place? Can we see how they look? Do they look like they're ready? Is there going to be, if there's a line outside Lowe's, can't there be a line outside a jewelry store on Mother's Day? Think yeah. about this. You put your yeah. life into your jewelry store. Mother's Day is the payoff day. You, don't want, you can order online and something you haven't seen or felt, or you want to go to the downtown man or woman that owns that shop. You can't because a governor will not empower a mayor to make these decisions in a comprehensive way. Laziness. Okay. Now listen to this one. Uh, police officers, NYPD people. They're saying that the policies of enforcing social distancing needs to end. You know, crowds of people were out and about during the beautiful weekend in New York. The cops were getting into real disputes with people trying to enforce social distancing. And they don't want any more of it. Look, there's a revolt going on here, Brian, which can only open the floodgates more. That's my opinion. And the police, I see the Police Benevolent Society, the chairperson there, uh, came out and said, listen, we're not going to enforce this anymore. And think about this. It's hard enough being a cop. They pay the city cops ridiculously low wages, by the way. Give them great benefits, very bad wages. And they go into the city, the toughest job, where they have to get no respect for their mayor with a brand-new police chief, and they got to go around and tell people, separate. Really? That's my wife. That's my husband. That's my son. Okay, you guys say, you? I'm a stranger. No, no, no. You, you, the stranger go away. The, the couple go here. Oh, you just started dating? Is it okay for them to stand next to each other, officer? I'm not sure. It's an impossible situation. You should deal with people like we're adults. You ask people, hey, uh, buddy, you're going to need a mask. You don't give them a $1,000 ticket. You say, hey, guys, we need you to separate. You can't huddle together. You'd be surprised how many people will listen to you. The same people yeah, yeah. That, uh, that, that obey traffic signs and obey the law 
who obey these rules. In law enforcement, an unexpected, uh, a unnecessary burden on them. I give Patrick Lynch, head of that, uh, uh, at, the, at that society, credit for standing up to his mayor. I got a positive for you. I think it's a positive. The NFL is probably going to announce the 2020 season schedule, I think maybe Thursday. Uh, that, to me, is real progress. That is opening up, bring them back. That's what I say. Right. Uh, they're going to have to practice. That means they're going to be practicing July and August if they play, expect to play in September. Look, the NFL, I believe, has a game plan for October, a game plan for December, where you play the Super Bowl February 28th. But you know what they're saying? We're playing. And we don't know if it's going to be in front of fans, partially filled stadiums. We're playing. We're not going to let you down. College football, they got to play. They got to finance their athletic departments. They got to get these kids in front of scouts. They got to give the Division II and Division III players the one last shot at playing in a high level competition. They got to play. They got to find a way to play. Backing off, saying too dangerous, I don't think is an option. Getting your scientists in to meet with healthcare workers to find out how to sanitize the locker room, temperature checks on players two or three times a week, along with rapid testing. Tell me how to make it work. Don't yes. tell me why I can't. Absolutely. That should be the mindset. Absolutely. Enough of I quit, yes. I'm staying yes. home. Yes. That's not the American mindset. I'm with you all the way, Brian, and I'm glad you're on the show this morning. Time's up, but great stuff. Thank Thanks, you. Brian. Kill me. We'll Go ahead. All right, uh, that is Stuart Varney. It's kind of odd because I'm staring at myself uh, the whole time in camera, and it kind of throws me a little. That's, um, although remarkably more sexy than I thought. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. Yeah, Always great to talk. Stuart's got the top-rated show in business television, and it's the most variety with breaking news in it. So he's able to mix politics, breaking news business, which you know it's all about business and the economy. Uh, you got to be credible, you got to be interesting, and you got to go to the non-economic uh, wizard because they have enough channels for themselves. Uh, they're, on, uh, they're on Capitol Hill. Now, I know the president was just speaking. I'm not sure if we heard anything else from the president, but I do know this. Saying Anthony Fauci will not go in front of the House does not surprise me. That's been leaked out. Saying he will go in front of the Senate, I think it's fine because you got Senator Schumer, Senator Warren, uh, you have other people that are going to ask him tough questions. And Fauci has already shown he has no problem, whether it's Steph Curry's podcast or it's uh, Jake Tapper's Sunday show, um, subtly going after the administration. But the problem with Anthony Fauci is late February, he's telling me the virus is no problem. In January, he assured me of it. So hope someone asks him about that. It's an imperfect science. I wish we were all in it together. Unfortunately, we're not. Me and you are. Democrats and Republicans are. Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade Show. This hour, we're going to be joined by Katie McFarlane in about 15 minutes. She's always great to have on. A foreign policy experience for dating back to the Reagan days, invaluable. Great broadcaster. But then when she was asked to be Deputy uh, National Security Advisor to Michael Flynn, uh, and then wrote a book about what it was like being targeted by the FBI and investigators and kind of 
forced out. Uh, then she realized, now the Michael Finn revelations come through, I just can't think of a better guest right now. I, I am just endlessly interested in this story. Had a chance to know him. He was on our show for two years uh, and then was forced out uh, when he left to the White House and then got embroiled in a scandal to, to not to his doing. Chris Stileworld at the bottom of the hour. What about that editorial written by David Plouffe and David Axelrod? Notes to Joe Biden. Do they talk to him? It's kind of embarrassing. Barack Obama's campaign people write a column about what you should do. Thanks. Do you have a text? I mean, you might be able to handle it. I like it. It helps us to find out what's going on. But they believe that the only way Trump wins is to vilify his opponent. I don't know. That, he's definitely going to vilify his opponent. If you heard about him. But I'll add this. Guess why Barack Obama won re-election? He targeted Romney from the March, from the, from the day in May that he was officially the no, unofficially the nominee, all the way to the end. Remember Rich, uh, white supremacist, uh, guy who is out of touch and looking to look down on poor people who didn't like black people, which is uh, not the way even Mitt Romney's enemies would profile him. That's how they had to do it. They had to vilify him and make him unelectable. And he still almost won. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We can't give China a pass, so here's the deal. We can build an economy here in America, bring the supply chain back, but punish the hell out of China. Our economic future is not dependent upon giving China a pass. Yeah, that is uh, Lindsey Graham. But what kind of offensive are they going to do? Reuters reporting there's a move to put a pullout of manufacturing from China on turbocharge. It's a justified massive blowback for that communist menace, what the Trump administration might be prepared to do. However, it will rock the global economy. Are we prepared for that? Number two. Where's Chris Ray been? We want the documents. We want that 302 that was changed. And we want to talk to the agents who were there when they interviewed Mike Flynn and why they changed that 302. Uh, there you go. Jim Jordan talking about Mike Flynn. Exoneration and investigation gaining momentum as the GOP asked, how did this happen? Where is new FBI Director Chris Ray on all of this? Number one. People are all talking about reopening. This is not a sustainable situation. Close down everything, close down the economy. Uh, you can do it for a short period of time, but you can't do it forever. Right. Uh, so, Mr. Governor, open us up. Uh, the corona fight. Uh, we're going to talk about the spread. We're going to talk about the oppressive rules, not necessarily New York's case and regulations. We'll update you on the phased reopening and frustrated citizens who have just had enough. Who's frustrated? A lot of people. When you're frustrated in Boston and Los Angeles, you are frustrated. Democratic states run by Democrats who are keeping the economy down on the auspices of being safe. But there's danger in being too safe because people will die waiting. Businesses will forever knuckle under. Our economy won't recover. This won't be the same country. Arkansas opening up tomorrow. Barbershop, cosmetology, massage therapy, body art. Medical space services, good. Everybody should be opening up their hospitals to non-essential operations and medical treatments. They're all willing to take another patient. People shouldn't suffer. Tests shouldn't go by the boards. And those beds need to be filled for hospitals to make money. Michigan, construction real estate activities may resume. They're way too slow in Michigan. 
in uh, Mississippi, restaurant, dining services, parks, and outdoor activities. Pennsylvania on Friday, construction going way too slow in Pennsylvania. A lot of protests there. Arizona businesses are opening up California, some low-level businesses and public spaces. But what they're not doing is opening up in New York, even though upstate New York and in Long Island, they can in my mind. They got four phases, uh, pretty complicated. They got to start with construction, manufacturing. We're not at phase one yet. Finance, insurance, real estate, phase two. Restaurant, hotels, gyms somewhere in between, arts and entertainment venues and education. Uh, Andrew Cuomo essentially says we're staying closed. Uh, it's not sustainable. Well, I'd like to know how we're going to open. I would like to him working 20 hours a day on how to open, checking out restaurants and him himself putting check marks there. Cut eight. People are all talking about reopening, which we should be talking about. This is not a sustainable situation. Close down everything. Close down the economy. Lock yourself in the home. Uh, You can do it for a short period of time, but you can't do it forever. And I get the emotion and I get the impatience and I get the anxiety. We all feel it. But uh, he's staying closed right now, right? He said we got to be smart about it. Harmeet Dillon is hearing a lot of the complaints. She was on last night with Laura Ingram on our television uh, show and the whole wearing masks in New York, which came out of nowhere, we suggest you wear a mask. It might be good to wear a mask. Get a piece of cloth, too. You better wear masks. Overreach. Cut 10. There's no science here, Laura, but what there is is emotion and manipulation, mass hysteria, and out-of-control power-mongering by these people. The next thing they're going to do, and they're already trying to do in Kansas City, is ask for information from churchgoers and start tracing them. Uh, this is private information going back to the civil rights era when liberals tried to harass members of the NAACP. They can't get our private information, and they will abuse it. What's next? AA members and their contact information? So, Laura, this is a massive crisis, and it is not going to stop until courts begin to put a stop to it. They have to. And I don't get these governors. Why do they want this pressure on their shoulders? They give credit to Colorado, Georgia, Florida in particular by listening to the people walking around and saying what's possible. Because to, I can't emphasize this enough. It's okay to be safe. It's okay to bike hel- uh, put a helmet on your kid even though they don't have to have it. You want to be safe. The kid still gets on the bike. They're not letting get us on the bike. And my analogy, which I think is brilliant, but nobody else really does or haven't verbalized to it, is if you're crossing a busy street with a small child, you better be careful. But the question is, why would you do that? Because on the other side of the street is a parent, and they're under cardiac arrest. And you have to be careful, but you got to get there quick. That parent under cardiac arrest is a symbol of the economy. Listen to a Boston protester. Talked about what they're going through and why they were there yesterday, cut 12. I was here to join in the Liberty Rally to stand up for our constitutional rights, for people to be able to work and uh, for us to have the freedom of movement, freedom to worship. Um, I'm pro-country. I'm pro-President Trump. I'm pro-liberty. I would like to see the virus was real. It is real. But it was not a reason to shut down the whole country, to shut down and shut people in. I believe that this election is shifting before our eyes. Judging by what we could do with the virus, obviously, as a country, administration will be get credit or discredit, but we're all going to have to do it. If this thing dissipates and we deal with it, we live with it, this is our new reality. We're able to gradually stand up the economy. They're going to look back at their governors and mayors and say, why did you do this to us? Why did you keep my dry cleaner shut down? Why was my sports store not allowed to open? Why was my boat only allowed to have two people in it? 
Why did you hold on, hold us down for an extra month? Do you realize the six weeks you gave me in the PPP loan and you kept me shut down for 12 weeks was all a waste? Now I got debt and still no business? This is going to be about freedom, oppression, and trusting people as opposed to high taxes, low taxes, and the border. That's how much this has changed. Karl Rove thoroughly believes with me. The president's going to win or lose. As much as people think it's about Joe Biden and Barack Obama's charisma, it's not. Cut 14. Look, this is a different than the normal recession and different than the normal circumstance in which presidents find themselves. Nobody in America is saying Donald Trump is responsible for the coronavirus. I think Chris is right. They are going to judge him on his performance. And they're going to similarly say it wasn't the president who brought on the bad economic times. It was the disease. And so they're going to look at, and this is the opening for Trump, to be able to compare his record and Biden's record and be able to compare his prescriptions for getting the economy back. To what Joe Biden's saying. Interesting story in Politico today. They talked about the H1N1 and what Biden was dealing with when he was uh, vice president. Because they may remember, uh, these, these are the projects. To his credit, uh, Barack Obama didn't really want to deal with this stuff. So he would put him in charge of distributing the $800 billion in stimulus funding. He would put him in charge of a few things uh, of substance. One of which was the response to the h one N1 virus. uh, virus. And just when you think, well, I know everything there is to know about Joe Biden. And of course, we have Ron Klain, who was his chief of staff. And they talked about what H1N1 and how it was handled. And wow, that ended up not being a big deal. Do you remember when Joe Biden said this in an interview with NBC's uh, Today Show with the H1N1 virus? Quote, I would not go anywhere in a confined place right now. It's not that it's going to go to Mexico. It's not that it's going to go to Mexico. It's that you're in a confined aircraft. When one person sneezes, it goes everywhere on the aircraft. The airlines went crazy. They accused Biden of fear-mongering. Media reports noted that Biden's pessimism contrasted sharply with Barack Obama. He had given a day earlier. Well, how dare a president be optimistic? And when he said there was no need to panic, even as he declared a national health emergency. In a matter of hours, uh, uh, Transportation Secretary Ray LaHood, Homeland Security Secretary Janet Napolitano, uh, Jack Lew, the Deputy Secretary of State, were summoned to the White House and assigned to clean up the mess that Biden made. And then, well, H1N1 wasn't that big a deal. Ron Klain, his chief of staff, it is, purely, it is purely fortuitous that it isn't one of the great mass casualties events in American history. He said H1N1 in 2019 had nothing to do with us doing anything right. It just had to do with luck. If anyone thinks this can't happen again, they don't have to go back to 1918. They got to go back to 2009, 2010. Imagine a virus with a different lethality and you would just do the math on that. I don't have to imagine we're living it. And for those people who want to say Donald Trump screwed it up, the great Barack Obama's administration admitting they lucked out. Trump didn't. We didn't. The world didn't. We come back. The Michael Flynn story from a woman that saw it up close and personal, his deputy, the truth behind it and who Michael Flynn was protecting and why he took the fall. You're with Brian Kilmeade. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. 
information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. That's something Chris Ray is going to have to have to answer for. How much has the FBI changed? You're right, Sean. The FBI is not in charge of hiring and firing directors of national intelligence. The FBI is not in charge. It's not their job to see what they can get away with, as Jim Comey said to that giggling gaggle of liberals when he was doing that Q&A. That is not the FBI. To see what you can get away with, try to get somebody fired, try to catch somebody in a lie. You're supposed to investigate crime, not create crime. And that is a little Trey Gowdy's outrage as he talks about the way it should be done, the way it was done when it came to Michael Flynn. As more information is exposed about Peter Strzok and company, what they did leading into, during, and after the interview with Michael Flynn after they recorded a conversation and the story appeared in the Washington Post. All of this detail uh, might have been due to us, but in the big strokes, it was not new to our next guest. It is KT McFarlane. Uh, KT is uh, a book is fantastic. Uh, and is now out, and also KT is, was Michael Flynn's deputy before it all came apart in the early days of the Trump administration. Uh, KT, first off, what is your reaction to all this, this new, uh, what is your reaction to all this new information? Well, you know, Brian, what surprised me, I guess it shouldn't have surprised me, but I've not been able to talk to General Flynn since he left the White House. His lawyers and my lawyers wouldn't let us talk to each other um, to protect us. And so I didn't realize what they did to him was exactly what they did to me, except worse in his case. And that's what surprised me is that we've sort of all been suffering in silence, and yet this abuse of power was a pattern. So the pattern was that they came to me unannounced at my house. They came to General Flynn unannounced at the White House with no preparation. They implied you don't need a lawyer. Um, In my case, when I asked them, do I need a lawyer, when they showed up at my house on Long Island, they said, well, we can't tell you not to get a lawyer, but we really don't, you know, we're not targeting you, we're not looking at you as any having done anything wrong, we just want you to help us find out what the Russians did and how we can prevent the Russians from doing it again. Well, I wanted to find that out, too. I mean, I'm a national security person. But it turned out that that's not what they were doing. They were targeting Flynn. They were targeting me. They targeted other people to try to catch you in perjury traps. And then once they could threaten you with prosecution and charging you with a crime, they could turn you. And so in my case, they wanted me to say that Flynn and the president had done stuff that they hadn't done. They implied that if I implicated the president, especially, that this would all go, my problems would go away. And when I wouldn't do that, then they threatened to charge me with a crime, with perjury, for lying to them. And when I said I wouldn't plead guilty to that either, they'd have to take me to court. Um, that's when they kind of backed off and went after others. How many countries did you guys talk to, ambassadors, uh, in between that period of get, winning the election and ready to take the job? Oh, probably at least 30. Right. And if I went up to you and just said, hey, the Ecuador, you were just on the phone with the ambassador to Ecuador. Did you guys talk about that whole border issue? You might answer. I don't I don't know. You know, we talked about everything and we have a mutual friend. Yeah. Uh, did you lie? I mean, that's really what they're trying to do. So you talk to the ambassador from Russia. Yeah. And by the way, what's the issue? Sanctions. To me, as Andrew McCarthy keeps saying over and over again, it's not illegal. You could talk about anything you want. In fact, it would have been irresponsible not to talk about it. And so here's what Sidney Powell said, and I want you to, by the way, 
Uh, KT puts a lot of this detail in her great book. It's called Revolution, Trump, Washington, and uh, We the People. So you got to read it, especially if you're passionate about this Michael Flynn story. Uh, here's what Sidney Powell, his, her, his new lawyer said. Now, the 302s are, if, uh, if you're an FBI agent, KT, and you interview me, you write it down in the 302. Cut 24. They edited it completely. In fact, Strzok talks about trying to keep the previous agent's voice in it. He has edited it so much. We still don't have the original 302. We know there's another draft from the Strzok page text messages. And from Covington, we're still trying to get Eric Holder and Michael Chertoff's emails, phone records, and possible text messages among the Covington lawyers themselves discussing General Flynn and also any communications between Eric Holder and Loretta Lynch or Sally Yates about the Flynn matter. You believe that they were all involved? Yes. I think that that it wasn't just one or two bad apples. I think it was coming from, because, you know, Brian, government doesn't work that way. It's not like some mid-level bureaucrat can decide, oh, I'm going to take down the president's national security advisor. Um, I'm going to try to take down Trump. And they don't have that, you know, they don't have that power. It had to be multi-agency, and it had to be at the high, approved at the highest levels, or at least known about at the highest levels. I mean, for, there's another example. So when General Flynn did have this phone call with the Russian ambassador, and I talked to Flynn before he had the call, and I talked to him right after he had the call characterized to me what the call was about. That's what I told the FBI. And yet, here's something that was very, the fact of it, I didn't think was a big problem. Um, And at the time, the intelligence community leaked the phone call to the press. We never got to see, I never saw the transcript. I doubt if Flynn ever saw the transcript. I don't think the only people who saw the transcript was David Ignatius, the Washington Post. KT, I loved it. Yeah. I would love to have you back later in the week. We're up against a break. It's uh, pick up her book, Revolution, Trump, Washington, and We the People. KT, we're going to get some more text messages. We're going to need you to break it down. Thanks so much. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. The House is a setup. The House is a bunch of Trump haters. Uh, They put every Trump hater on the committee, the same old stuff. Uh, They frankly want our situation to be unsuccessful, which means death, which means death. And our situation is going to be very successful. The House has put on a committee, an oversight committee of uh, Maxine Waters and Maloney and the same people. And it's just a setup. Uh, but uh, Dr. Fauci will be testifying in front of the Senate, and he looks forward to doing that. And you know exactly what's going to happen. He says one thing that might be different from Trump. They go, aha, division. He's on the way out. And if he agrees with Trump, uh, they're not going to write it. And the Republicans are going to underline that. Chris Tyrell will be with us. He will not be asked to testify in front of the House or the Senate. Uh, he's a political editor for Fox News. He's also uh, in charge of Fox News Halftime Report, which tells us what we should pay attention to. Uh, Chris, so the president finally spoke again because he got a chance to travel. He did the old tarmac thing. Uh, you know, he's going to take his chopper to his plane to uh, Arizona. So 
he can pick and choose chambers, can he? Especially with one chambers at home. Well, uh, that's a, that, that was a lot. Uh, first of all, I want to point out, you don't know that I won't be called to testify because you don't know what I've been doing with this uh, quarantine. It could be all kind of bad stuff. Oh, that's true. Here, so that's true. That up. could be. You don't know what I'm doing. Uh, right. So we I know this, Chris. We're... You would never turn yourself in for no, bad quarantine to, management. They, they would have to send the sergeant of arms. That is absolutely. Sergeant at <laughs> arms would have to come get me. Uh, okay, good. So we are behind, we are, we are back to where we were before, right? So the House wants to do oversight, and the president rightly assesses that they seek to do oversight in a way that would be damaging to him and his administration. Uh, so the president says, we ain't sending, right? We ain't going. And this is a question that has gone unresolved. So if, if you'll recall, one of the problems that the Democrats had with their impeachment was that they didn't let the Supreme Court weigh in on the question about the administration's blockade of testimony before the House. Uh, those matters still have to be resolved by the Supreme Court because no administration before has ever said, we just don't cooperate with you. We don't send, we don't go. And that has to be resolved at the Supreme Court. So we're back to where we were. Um, if if Fauci goes and testifies in the Republican-controlled Senate, he will still, of course, have to face questions from Democrats um, uh, in whatever committee hearing uh, they the, that. Uh, uh, and neither will it eliminate the House's claim, right? The House has, whether presidents like it or not, or whether they're doing it for good reasons or bad reasons or political reasons, the House still has the authority to demand people come and testify before them. So we're back to where we were, which is nothing works, and the Supreme Court is going to have to, the Supreme Court's going to have to weigh in. But Chris, can you believe we're in the middle of a pandemic, unless you heard something, uh, that it's over? You haven't heard it's over, right? No, we got no, here in my labs, we got no info on that. Okay, so we're in the middle of a pandemic. Let's do oversight. That's like if the smoke was, if if the planes were still at 9-11 in Manhattan, and then going, OK, let's go ahead and examine how this happened. We did months before this happens. It's amazing. They don't want to they don't want to come to work for health reasons, but they want to make sure when we come back, we'll immediately be doing um, the Russia probe, the impeachment probe. Now we're going to make it the pandemic probe and we're going to just make sure it's pure politics and we're going to play gotcha. Uh, there's 184 countries going through the same thing. We are the only ones doing oversight uh, like grilling this. Let's blame the president for the virus. Well, there are uh, 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 there are a lot of countries in which there is no accountability for leaders. Right. Uh, again, the, the Congress uh, is what the Congress will do what the Congress will do. If Republicans were in control, if the Republicans had not lost the House in 2018, the situation would be very different, right? It would be very different. And it would be a rah-rah, sis-boom-ba, way to go, President Trump. Thank you for all your good work. And it wouldn't be this, but they lost it. So that's what the Democrats are going to do, because we have a system that's based, that is that is centered on Mr. Madison's idea about ambition being made to counteract ambition. So the House, the democratically controlled House, and President Trump are going to fight. And they're going to fight every day that he is in office. And that includes days when there's a pandemic. It includes days when there's a war. It includes all of that. Because never in our lives, ever, in your life or mine, 
have we ever been at a point of this kind of absolute scorched earth politicization of everything? Absolutely. And that includes this. That includes matters of life and death. I, I want you to hear. So I thought we could agree on China was the offender uh, in this virus. And whether it's a lab, we got to find out they didn't let us in. We thought we can agree on that. And we thought we could agree where it started and the irresponsibility is how they let their people travel the globe while not letting them travel to their own cities. So when asked about China's culpability, you would think that many Democrats would find common ground. They haven't. Cut 28. The president is attempting to uh, hold up China uh, as the boogeyman in this situation. And the reason that we're in the crisis that we are today um, is not because of anything that China did. We have to work with China. You have to work with China on COVID-19. On all pandemics, I think the president is all over the place and even heading in the wrong direction. Right. So John Kerry definitely knows about heading in the right direction. Was that was that John Kerry? We bring blast from the past. John Kerry. Yeah. Oh, he's weighing in. He wants to be the next secretary of state. You know, he's going to get that job back. You know that, right? Who wants to be secretary? of State? If, uh, If Joe if Joe Biden, if Joe Biden gets it, what else is he doing? How many times can you go out in your yacht, Chris? You know. You act like the yacht's so much I mean, fun when you go out on it. You'd be surprised. But, it's, but because you have You'd a job. <laughs> right. Uh, so, uh, so, I mean, so he probably wants it. So he's, he's being critical there. Of course, you got to call China out on it, which I find fascinating is how this is playing out diplomatically. They, uh, the Chinese-run state media called President Trump evil and called uh, Secretary of State Pompeo evil. In North Korea, they Venom. only call... John Bolton evil or Secretary of State, they're calling them both evil. And now there's a report, and we just had the Reuters reporter on, that we're going to put on turbo speed a pullout of manufacturing from China. Global markets are probably not going to be for that, so it'll probably be rocked because of that. Man, you got to wonder how this game plays out. Well, we, you know, the, the reality is both parties are anti-China, right? Both Republican and Democrat uh, uh, Democratic politicians are anti-China. That is, there's no. Uh, my apologies to noted internationalist John Kerry. Uh, there's no appetite out there in either party to be a pro-China party. And what you will see over the course of this election year is Democrats uh, and Joe Biden say they, you know, these Chinese and what they did, and they didn't tell people, and this is wrong. Now that gives Trump so. a lot of. That gives Trump a lot of room to maneuver because he can say, oh, yeah, well, I'm tougher than you are. And you used to be soft on this and I'm tough on this. Where Trump runs into problems is that the economic recovery that he is counting on to keep him in office may be seriously hampered. Right. So we hear a lot of politicians. We hear a lot of politicians in both parties who say now is the time to, uh, to bring back all manufacturing from China. Now is the time to punish China brutally. Okay, you can do it, but you ha- if you do it, you if you could do it, you would do it with the knowledge that you would be prolonging and deepening a global recession. And that's that's the that's the sticky goo for the president. He would like to he will attack Democrats for being Johnny come lately to his uh, efforts to crack down on China. He will do that. But he always has to be careful on the other side because the economy relies so much on international trade that if we get back into a trade war, if we get into and we get into even worse, the kind of worse hostilities that are being discussed, that would keep the U.S. economy on ice in a big way. 
Chris, what I don't think, uh, I don't think you are going to say, see from Joe Biden, China's acting irresponsibly. They did not let our uh, scientists in. I don't think he's going to say that this is China's fault. They infected the world. I think it's going to be, yeah, the, the virus started there, but it was Trump's lack of um, action early that caused it. I don't think he's going to look to vilify China. I think China clearly wants him to win. What I thought was fascinating, and I know you read this probably. Okay, I'm pretty convinced. Politico did a story about how Biden handled the H1N1 virus. Number one, he famously said, I wouldn't go on a plane. You sneeze on a plane, it goes right from the front to the back, basically grinding to a halt the airline business. Uh, And then turns out the Ron Klain is on the record, I'll paraphrase, Nothing we did stop the H1N1 virus. We lucked out. The next one could be really devastating. So that kind of brings to a halt those who say, look at how he handled his virus as opposed to the way Trump handled his virus. Well, the only thing I would say is I would be careful about saying that the Chinese want Joe Biden to win, uh, just as I'd be careful about saying the Russians want Donald Trump to win. That may be true in a surficial way, right? It may be true that 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 Putin preferred Trump uh, or that Xi prefers Biden. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But I don't think we should let that kind of thinking crowd into the political judgments that Americans have to make, because we're not dealing with people. On, the, the people we're talking about, the motives that we're talking about uh, are so malign and so and also so opaque. We don't really know what Putin or Xi really want the U.S. to do. So I don't get into that stuff. That's not something I do. All right. So how do you feel about the Senate being back at work and the House not? Um, The secret secret sauce here is Democrats say that they're not here for safety reasons. The real reason they're not here, well, I'm not saying that there aren't members who are concerned about safety, but they're making it sound like they're taking a principled stand on science. If they had legislation to vote on that they liked, they would be here, right? If they if it, if they thought that they were going to be voting on a five trillion dollar uh, spigot of money to wash across the nation uh, in torrents, if they thought they were voting for that, they would be here in enthusiastic basements. So there's a little Absolutely. cover here, right? There's a little cover here. Yeah, I'm not I'm not discounting the the motives of people who say that they're concerned about safety. I'm sure that's true, but they would sure get over them for cash bothers me. Uh, plus, uh, what about the self-esteem of the House? They don't feel they're essential workers. You know, it's okay to go down and clean subways. All. Uh, it's okay to go down and clean subways uh, imagine, with some, you know. Imagine, uh, all of the, imagine all of the egomaniac members of the House with their lapel pins all polished up, waiting to be important, and then finding out no one cares what they think or do, right? It's just, it's, I right. love it so much because Washington spends so much time kissing the patooties of these essentially meaningless politicians, and now they're stuck at home on a Zoom meeting with uh, berating their staffs remotely. It's got to just, it can't, it can't feel the same as throwing the latte back at somebody in person. Right. Or would it, uh, Amy Klobuchar likes to eat with a spoon or, or with a comb? Like she's going to have to eat with a comb at home. Yeah. Without blaming somebody. It's not the same. It's going to be tough. It's not the same. It's really the same. Keeps them out of trouble, though. Right. When you can't go into your office, no one can accuse you of anything. 
That's right. Wait, wait, wait till we see the, the post coronavirus. First, the one thing we're going to see a lot of bad beards. Get ready for a lot of bad beards. They're going to roll out of there with a lot of. We won't have seen this many bad beards in Washington since the 1880s. It's going to be. It's going to be rough. It's going to be rough. Right. Let, lastly, here's the president uh, a half hour ago on sports coming back. Let's listen to the crowds. I think when he talks about the crowds. Well, it's a report, and that's a report with no mitigation. So based on no mitigation, but we're doing a lot of mitigation. And frankly, when the people report back, they're going to be social distancing and they're going to be washing their hands and they're going to be doing the things that you're supposed to do. Uh, We won't be going into stadiums full bore yet, you know, for events and soccer and uh, football and all of the different events. Baseball, I hope baseball can get going. But uh, they won't be going in full bore yet at some point, hopefully in the not too distant future. But that report is a no mitigation report, and we are mitigated. So, uh, yeah, and the report he's talking about is uh, 3,000 dead a day by June. And he's saying, listen, I didn't ever saw that. He said that yesterday, and today he said that was if we didn't mitigate. So uh, first on the sports thing, what do you think, Chris? What are they saying? Like, when are, we gonna, when are you going to a Nationals game with someone you don't need a bullhorn to talk to? Are you going to go with a guy? Uh, you're going to see him row ten. He's going to be in row one. I, I'm not foreseeing uh, spectators at sporting events. I just don't see it this year. I don't think there's an appetite for it. I don't think that consumers want it. You know, we talk about a lot of these things like it's the government will decide whether people will go to baseball games. I promise you, right now, if you said Nats Park, we're playing a game, the Phillies are in town, let's go. There, people wouldn't show, right? They just wouldn't show up. And that's not, not because of the rules. That's because people are very concerned. So I think you're going to see televised sports. I, I, the last I read about baseball, America's sport, uh, was that the MLB was talking about doing three 10-team divisions, uh, irregardless yeah. of uh, league, and have them play in, in three geographic zones to cut down on well, – travel a little bit and play the games without crowds i can see that i just can't see anything this year that looks like uh packing uh 30, people into a stadium because right. it's not it's not just about where the people sit there's all the choke points right everybody's got to put their ticket through they got to go through the space i don't think it's going to happen right i just know one thing the mets promised their fans they'd still be in a pennant race on july 4th they'll still be in it and that's They're all I ask. This, this is great. This yeah, is they'll great still be in it. It's great for the Reds. All of these teams have never been – it's been <laughs> years since they've done so well. Exactly. Late into the season. Fantastic. You know, not everyone's going with the world champion. Uh, Chris Tyrewald, thanks so much. You bet. All right. Uh, he is uh, great. Uh, back with you in a moment. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. 1-866-408-7669. Just got to remind you that my paperback's coming out next week. Uh, I think you'll like it. I added something about Lincoln and Houston going back and forth, try to keep Texas out of the Civil War, which would have been a great move. Uh, They would have saved a lot of lives. But he was ignored, so he resigned. So we just bring inside that story. But I do want to take some of your calls, and I appreciate all your emails. Brian is listening to WRCN on Long Island. Hey, Brian. 
Hey, bro, I don't understand how it's possible for the FBI to still withhold information relative to this investigation with Michael Flynn. I mean, it, it is absolutely disgusting what has happened with General Flynn. I, I am... I I I want to. I hope they have a, a a job ready for him somewhere where he can he can maybe get some of his life back because this man dedicated his life to this country and they used him to get it at our president and it's disgusting and I don't know how we move forward if we can't have faith in in our government agencies. I know, and, and that's what's so disappointing about Christopher Ray. He's got to run an agency. If he turns on them and turns over the documents, perhaps he feels he loses loyalty. But what he doesn't understand, perhaps, is that the bureaus, the people on the streets in New York and elsewhere, they're as upset with the seventh floor in Washington as anyone. Those people are bureaucrats. The other men and women are actually saving the country, 35,000 strong. Thanks so much, Brian. I share your outrage. See you tomorrow on Fox and Friends back here on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Stay safe, stay healthy. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.